So we have been journeying through Lent, this season that's meant to be a season of preparation for us, a season of kind of doubling down on what it is to follow Jesus. Uh, it's the church's way of reminding us that, look, we need to be serious about what it is to follow Jesus. And so every year before Easter, there's this 40-day period of Lent, this time of preparation. And this year, we've been journeying through what's known as the Sermon on the Mount that's in the Gospel of Matthew. And it's a, it's a whole sermon that Jesus has given. And we've been working our way through it in five parts. You can break it up in a lot of different ways. And there are literally books upon books written on this one passage. And we've dealt with a lot of familiar passages that we've heard through the years. But the challenge for us has been stringing it all together, helping it connect. Because sometimes you, you, you can deal with one item on its own, and, and that's good enough. Such as today, we'll, we'll deal with you know, the, the house on the rock or the house on the sand. Or uh, the passage of, you know, hey, you know, the, the gate is wide or the gate is narrow. These are familiar passages that we hear in our Christian faith. But seeing how they're all connected together has been the challenge. And today, this fifth Sunday of Lent, we are coming to the wrap-up of the sermon. In other words, if we were sitting there with all the crowds upon crowds that were there listening to Jesus, we would hear that Jesus is transitioning and he's wrapping up. You know, I, I know that you sometimes have that problem with, with the preacher. Um, when, when, is, when is he going to be done? Um, you know, he said the third point. Where, are there only three points? Are, are, you know, there are clues that we sometimes have that tell us that it should be winding up. Maybe it's just a sucker in your mouth and you think it's coming to the end, so it should be good. But Jesus was wrapping up. And we're going to read through that and recognize that he's calling our response. He's calling for our response. Now, I want to make sure I'm clear how we understand that. Throughout the scriptures, a choice has been put before people. Those who are following God, a choice is ever before them. We see it uh, when they come into the promised land, they're, they're to stand on one mountain or the other. One mountain represents the blessings, another mountain represents the curses. If you follow God, you're blessed. If you don't follow God, you'll be cursed. There's a reminder there. Joshua even says it one day, choose this day whom you will serve. There are choices made along the way. Psalm 1, which opens the Psalms. We tend to think of the Psalms as a whole series of just poems. But no, they're rather crafted well together. Psalm 1, though, is the one that's kind of the key to the start. And listen to the choice that's put before. I'm going to read all of Psalm 1 to you. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Now remember, it's blessed. This is the one who's blessed. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. 
and on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Now here's the other side. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So in the start of the Psalms is put forward this idea that you can either pursue God and be blessed, or pursue your own desires, the wickedness, and that's going to lead to destruction. Over and over again in the scriptures is this choice. And the challenge for every believer is, how do I get on in the good column? And the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, were trying to ensure that people followed the law. They even built rules around the law, kind of a fence around the law, so nobody could get close to breaking any of the rules of the law. And it was also that they could assure themselves that they would be in the right column. Okay? Jesus is speaking to that reality, and that reality still exists in us today, that desire to do the right thing so that we're in the right place. But Jesus has been speaking to our hearts along the way. And he's now going to wrap things up, and I want you to hear this wrap-up. Let's pray. Lord, may you guide us through your word. May you guide us through the gospel of Matthew. May you guide us through this final section so that we might hear what you truly have to teach us. Not only that, that we might hear, but also that we might find ourselves challenged and asking hard questions of ourselves so that you can make and shape us into who you truly call us to be. We pray this, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Here's part of the wrap-up right here. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate. For, actually, I'm going, to, I'm going to change the way I'm going to do this. I'm going to read that first part again, and I'm going to break off, and then I'm going to read the other pieces. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. We know this as the golden rule. You know, do unto others what you'd have them do unto you type thing, right? The golden rule exists throughout cultures. It was not just in the Jewish culture. We find it in the Far East. We find it going back centuries. The basic concept that, and you can hear it in both the negative or the positive, you know, that don't do to someone, don't, don't do to someone else what you don't want them to do to you type thing, or, hey, do something positive to someone else in the same way that you'd want them to do you. Positive or negative, it exists throughout the cultures. And Jesus uses this piece, this golden rule, to wrap up 
a large part of what he's been saying, certainly for us, what was for the last three weeks, wrapping up, hey, when it comes to your behavior and what you do, because we can't go through every circumstance, a quick good summary is, hey, do to others whatever you wish they would do to you. What he's getting at is he's getting at not so much the rules of right and wrong, but the rules of the heart. The rules of the heart. And then he brings to the next part kind of warnings, challenges. This is the final wrap-up in which he's challenging us where we are. Are we in the blessing column or the curse column? Are we on the mountain of blessings or the mountain of curses? Have we chosen whom we will serve? We hear familiar passages that are now strung together in a purposeful way. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear good or bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that many day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as I said, 
there are some passages in there that we are familiar with and some that kind of draw recollection. But we're not yet used to hearing them together. We almost see them as separate pieces that have just been thrown in as if Matthew remembers different parts of the sermon and has just dropped them in. But that's not the case. They're very purposefully put together, like pearls on a necklace, each of them beautiful in their own way, but when strung together, make a strong and very clear impression. And Jesus is looking for our response. He's been sharing with us all the different ways in which we are called to act and behave. You may remember the whole thing about, hey, when you, when you, when you give to people, don't do it broadly so that everybody sees you and gives you a reward. Or when you pray, don't do it so that everybody sees it so that you get rewarded by people. But rather, the reward is to come from God. He was working on statements about our heart, where our hearts are. We're used to hearing the passage that speaks to the gate being wide and, and that the, it's easy and that many go through and yet it's a path, a gate of destruction. We're used to hearing that and thinking about all the things of life that you know people do but we shouldn't do and that actually leads to destruction. And Jesus certainly could be meaning that but it's more likely he's got something else in mind. More likely, he has our heart in mind. That there's that within us that desires to still do all that we want to do without fully giving ourselves over to God. He says, look, that's, that's the wide gate. That's the easy path. You know, we have the classic imagery of having a foot in the boat and a foot on the dock, and we know we're going to get wet. And Jesus is saying, look, that's the path, that's the gate that we're all on. That we're all serving ourselves, desirous. You know, we'll serve God as so far as it serves us. And he's saying, look, that's, that's the wide gate. That's the easy way. The hard way, the narrow gate, is to give oneself up fully and to fully follow Jesus. To give ourselves up in every way and fully follow him. That's the narrow gate. That's the way that leads to life. You know, it's been said of um, the whole Sermon on the Mount that not only commentators but denominations, churches, all of us appreciate parts of it and want to evade or avoid other parts of it because its demands are so high. They, they seem unattainable. They seem beyond our ability. And so we start to excuse it. But Jesus doesn't so easily let us off the hook. He's saying, look, this is hard. To give your heart fully over to God, to give your heart fully over to me, is hard. But because it's so hard, we're all going to want a way out. And notice where he slides into next. He slides into this conversation 
about beware of false prophets. He describes them as, as wolves in sheep's clothing. It's an image that he borrows on from the time in which there, was, there were Greek plays and, and Greek myths and others that were familiar to people. It's, it was a common understanding, this, this idea of a wolf sheep's clothing. And he plays on that. And he's saying, look, beware of the prophets, those who are speaking seemingly on behalf of God. And yet, their purposes aren't really God's purposes. They're going to say what we want to hear. They're going to let us off the hook. But that's not God's way. And he says there's a way to tell the difference between those who are, who are really sharing and preaching God's word and those who are sharing God's word but sharing it in a way that makes it easier for us. He says you can tell it by their fruits. Over time, you're going to be able to tell by the fruits of those prophets. And, you know, you've all had it like I have where you... You see a tree off in the distance and you see the fruit and you run up to it and then you see, oh, and you realize the tree is diseased. Whereas you find good fruits and you know the tree is well. And that's the imagery that he's giving. He's giving us this imagery to help us understand that, look, in the end, who are we going to be? What is going to be our response? Are we truly going to choose this day to follow the Lord? Remember, this is the season of Lent. This is the season of preparation. This is the season in which we're being challenged. And the Sermon on the Mount does that. It challenges us. Are we willing to have our hearts all in? And as he shares that there's a wide way, an easy way, a way that most people go, and there's a narrow way, a narrow gate, and it's not necessarily easy because it means letting go of all that we want, all that we want to be, all we think that it should look like, and letting go completely to give over to God. And few choose to do that. And then he immediately slides into, but because that's hard, there are going to be many out there who are going to share with you what you want to hear. And this has always been true. The prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah and all those minor prophets are preaching and teaching God's word to a, a people that are rebelling against God, that are walking away from God, and they're yelling from the rooftops, you've got to stop. But there was an equal number of prophets, if not more, that were also in the king's court who were saying, no, it's all going to be good. It's okay. God will protect us. We're fine. And they were doing that right up to the fall of the temple. There's always going to be those who are speaking on behalf of God, but are not speaking God's word. They're going to be telling us what we want to hear. They're going to be trying to lift that burden off of us. The burden of finally giving ourselves over fully to Jesus. So there's a natural progression of these pearls along the way. This one where he speaks of false prophets and reminds us, that this could be, that we could be listening to the wrong person. And so we need to be watching the fruits. And then as a way of, of 
making that message really come home as a way of helping them to see what he's talking about, he then gives a segment in which he says, there are going to be those who say, Lord, Lord. And they're going to, they're going to say, hey, we, we followed you. We, we, we ministered in your name. We cast out demons. We were following you. And Jesus says, get away from you, me. I've never known you. How in the world can that be true? Doesn't that catch you off guard when you hear that? Doesn't that throw you? He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. How can that be? They'll even say, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Notice the connection to prophecies. Or cast out demons or do mighty works in your name? Didn't we do things for you, Lord? How is it that I, they don't enter the kingdom of heaven? Jesus is pointing out what he's been saying from the beginning of this sermon. Look, following the rules, following the law, or even in their time, bringing sacrifices, you can do all these things, and you can do them without bringing your heart. We do it even now. There are all sorts of things we do in life where we go through, we call it jumping through the hoops, right? We do them, but we do them without our heart. Our heart is nowhere near them. They're not part of it. God has given us free will. The ability to choose to love God or not love God. That's a gift that He's given us. Free will. Now, why would He do that? Why not just snap His fingers and make it all good? Why would He give us free will. I've told junior hires many times, look, if you had a love potion that you could give that person that you kind of have eyes on, that that person will love and be just as interested in you as you are in them, would you give that person the love potion? And of course, they think about it. There's one part that's like, well, yeah, of course. But there's that other part that aches with, but even though that person will love me and always want to be with me, there'll be that haunting question about whether they really ever really wanted to be. God has given us free will because he wants us to truly love him of our own hearts. And we spend much of our life seeing how we can follow God and do all that God wants without fully giving ourselves over to God. And Jesus' wrapping up of the Sermon of the Mount is about saying, look, if you're not catching it, 
It's all about loving and loving God, giving your heart fully over. You can do everything I've asked and yet still be far from me. He's calling for our hearts. And the thing is, He knows whether we love Him or not. He knows the depth of how much we've given ourselves to Him or not. He knows. That's not a mystery for God. That's not a mystery for Jesus. That is known all the while. The irony is that we're the ones that are usually confused about how much we love and how much we've given ourselves over. We're the ones who continue to find that, oh, wait, I haven't let go of this yet. Oh, wait, I'm going through the motions and I'm not really there yet. And so he says, look, there are going to many be many who call me Lord, Lord, who aren't going to enter into the kingdom. They're not really about me. They're about themselves. And with that, he switches to that last passage, the passage I played with the cards with the kids, in which he's challenging us, where are we building? Where are we building? Are we building our lives on our own creation of what we think it should be to follow God? That which we're comfortable with? That which makes sense to us? He says, be careful how you build. Are you going to build on a foundation that is certain, namely Jesus Christ? A rock that is certain in which the, the difficulties of life come. Notice, by the way, in this passage about building on the rock or building on the sand, that there is no differentiation about the house. We hear nothing about the house itself. We are led to assume that the house is the same. It's identical. We're led to understand that the building is the same. It's the foundation that's in question. And so Jesus, as he wraps up this sermon on the mount, as he wraps up this sermon before the crowds, as he's been telling them how he has come to fulfill the law, that it's not just about, you know, hey, you shouldn't kill. Well, I can check that box off. Well, you know what? You shouldn't hate either. It's about what's in your heart. He's circling back and he's saying to us, look, where are you building your house? Are you building upon him? Or are you building upon some other structure, some other surface in which the struggles of life are certainly going to give a battering? But the rains and the floods and all the things that are coming that Jesus alludes to here are not about just the daily living. They're about that final day. That day of testing. The day in which God will reveal 
whether we were there to follow him or not. And there is no other foundation than Jesus Christ. None. And he's pretty clear. He doesn't let us skate away from it. Now there's one more part to this passage that we didn't yet read, and it's not on the slide, so don't worry. But if you remember back five weeks ago, the Sermon on the Mount began with us being told that he went up on a mount, mountain, that there were crowds, not just a crowd, but crowds that had gathered around to hear. And so wrapping this up, putting a bookend at the other end, the final end, Matthew writes this. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. And this is why. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. In other words, he was teaching as the one who really knew. We like hearing stories from people that heard something or or something happened and they heard about it and they tell us and they've got information, but we all sit up and take note when someone who was really at the event or was at the center of the event comes in and starts to talk. And that's the difference. They had been listening to the religious leaders and Jesus walks in and tells them how it really is. It's about our heart. Are we ready to follow Him? It's the challenge of Lent as we walk towards Easter. It's a reminder to us all, for we are all sinful and we're all broken, and Jesus has given His life up to to pay that price for us. But it's a reminder to us how we drift away and how much, again, He is calling us to Himself. So let's pray. Lord, may our response today be a renewed effort to follow you, to give you glory and praise, to not just go through the motions of what it is to follow you, but to truly give our hearts to you and to your purposes, to see the world as you see it, to offer forgiveness and grace, mercy, to intervene with justice when it is needed. Help us, O Lord, to love, to do to others as we wish they would do to us. Help us, Lord, to love one another. In Jesus' name, amen. The summary of the law is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two laws depend all the laws and the prophets, God's holy word. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be yours this day and forevermore. Amen.